Chapter 1 Wise Gambit He had written, Dear Walt, You know who I am. You do not know that you know. You shall. I write this to let you know that I know who you really are. I know the skill of your hands. I know the quality of your obedience. I know where you come from and what you are doing. I know what you think. I know what you want. I know your great destiny. I like you. Why? Walt knelt with the sun on his back and the hard, sharp bronze letters imprinting his knees. T.H. on the left knee, R.K. on the right. He watched his hands, whose skill was known, was known, to someone else. Who? Watched his hands trimming the grass around the bronze plaque. Three left fingers pressed the shorn blades gently away, while the finger and thumb felt out the shallow, narrow channel. And deftly, how deftly the right hand wielded the turf hook, making a margin clean as a moon. Did anyone know that Walt had made the turf hook himself? Would anyone admire its right hand bevel below, its left hand bevel above? Who would applaud the creation? Who but the creator? And wasn't that enough? It had been enough. Walt shifted gingerly from the toothed seraphs of the memorial plaque and set his knees carefully under, in living memory, with the small of between them. It had been enough, just knowing he was doing his job perfectly. So perfectly, in fact, that in the York matrix of four strange castles and a private park, he existed like an invisible mend. It may be that Walt had numbly wished to be known and noticed. He could not recall such a wish, but he must have wished it. For years he had been contained and content within his own quiet excellence, patient as a pupa. But now, I know who you really are. I like you. It was troubling. Had Walt ever read Bernard Shaw, he had not. He might have been pleased with the line, When you have learned something, my dear, it often feels at first as if you had lost something. It would have given flesh to this queer, unsettled feeling, together with the comfort that he was not alone in feeling it. He had not truly known how desperate his need had been to have someone say to him, I like you. Only now that it was said, he did not know what to do with it. A shadow crossed his clever hands. Walt did not look up. There was no necessity. To look up would have been to see Robert York, black Homburg, suit hard and gray as iron, waistcoat like an old mint coin, blank gray cravat, wearing his morning face below the rimless glasses a face drum-tight as an empty bed in a barracks. Good morning, Walt, said Robert York correctly. Morning, Mr. Robert. 
It was, as always if the encounter took place just here, seven minutes before ten o'clock. York Square must never have had a youth. Its little formal tapestry of a private park, its grizzled guardian corners of little castles, each with its watchful tower, surely looked old and out of place in time, even when the masons laid down their trowels. And what York Square was in stone, Robert York was in the flesh. Imagine him a child, if you could. And still you saw only a dwindled Robert York as he stood, in black Homburg and iron gray, with a gray cravat above an antique waistcoat, and spats before May 15th the unrimmed glasses making him eyeless in the morning sun on his drumskin face. Compelling Robert York to live in one of York Square's four castles,